Welcome to the Loveland Libcast, the official podcast of the Loveland Public Library. Mezcla. It means mix, blend, or fusion. Best-selling author Easta Belfridge shares her favorite mezcla flavors with recipes that showcase her signature inventive ingredient combinations and playful techniques. With inspiration from around the world and a special emphasis on her Italian, Mexican, and Brazilian upbringing, mezcla has something to suit every mood and craving. There are impactful, fuss-free dishes for every day, recipes to take your time over, and a chapter of mouth-watering desserts. This is irresistible food that you'll keep coming back to. This is Mezcla, Recipes to Excite by Easta Belfridge. Welcome to the Loveland Loopcast, everybody. We are talking today about September's cookbook choice, which is Mezcla by Easta Belfridge. And we are joined, as always, by Ashley Reger. And today we have a special guest, Yvette Marquez Sharpnack. She is a food blogger, recipe developer, and an author. She has a new book out, Muy Bueno Fiestas, 100 Plus Delicious Mexican Recipes for Celebrating the Year, which you can get at your local library. Yvette and Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you you so so much. Thank you. So Yvette, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, your journey to where you are now, how you came to be a food blogger of Muy Bueno, your blog, and an author, and how you ended up maybe in Colorado. Yeah, so I am originally from El Paso, Texas, born and raised. I now live in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, and have two children, my girl who's turning 21. (laughs) I can't even believe it. (laughs) And my son who's 15. And so my daughter who's 21, you know, when she was eight years old, she was the one who gave me the idea of writing a cookbook. So she, you know, grandma, her abuela was visiting and cooking all the dishes that I grew up eating. And my daughter was the one who suggested, you know, do you have these recipes written down so that you know, I can make them when I'm in college. (laughs) And, um, and I just thought that was a really cute idea. I was like, wow, that's a great idea. I mean, you know, my grandma had already passed, but these recipes were never written down. And so I figured this was the great time to just start documenting them. And at the time I figured, oh, I'll just do a little shutterfly book and, um, just have Mm -hmm. something for her, for family and friends. And, um, And it was another friend who suggested to start a blog. And this was in 2010 when I didn't even know what a blog was. I had to Google what is a blog. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, you know, at the time I was a graphic designer. So I was like, okay, I can design a cute little logo and a little website and start sharing recipes. And that's how it started. And then eventually when I started having people following my recipes, people were saying, you're going to write a cookbook. I was like, yeah, it's for my family. And they're like, well, we want to buy it. And I was like, wow, maybe there's something here that I can traditionally publish and have a real cookbook. So in 2012, I published with my mother and my sister, the original Muy Bueno. And so then from there, I've 
published a Latin twist, which was a few couple of years later, and that's a cocktail book. And then now this one is Muy Bueno Fiestas. So it's still the same concept, still the Mexican recipes that I enjoyed from my grandma, who is from Chihuahua, Mexico, and just a little bit of how I love to entertain and just Mexican recipes that are special to me. So it's all now bundled in, in my newest book. Did your um, mother and sister uh, have input on Latin Twist or this latest book? My mom really helped out so much on my latest book. She would help me develop the recipes so and test the recipes. So I would you know, come up with an idea and make it at home. And she lives in El Paso, Texas. So I would send her the recipe. And then from there, she would remake it just to make sure it worked out. And then she would say, oh, you know what? This needs a little more cheese or this needs a little more, you know, sugar or whatever, whatever the recipe was. And um, then she would tweak it. Then I would make it again at home. And then from there, we would just keep working on it. And so she would fly out here a lot once it was time to photograph the cookbook. So she came out here and really was my sous chef and helped me cook everything, make everything look nice and pretty. So when the photographer came, we could shoot it all. So we, you know, cooked all the recipes all over again and we shot everything here in my home. So it was a labor of love and she really helped me a lot with it. Wow, very cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Does your daughter now make the recipes? I'm I'm so impressed that as an eight-year-old, she was so forward thinking, like, (laughs) you got to write these recipes down. I know. Ever since she was six years old, she would talk. She would be counting down for college, which was so weird. (laughs) I mean, she literally was like independent as soon as she was born and, you know, was so excited, you know, to leave the nest and go live her dream and go live her life. And um, so she loves to cook. She's a natural cook. She, she loves just, you know, if she's craving something, she Googles a recipe and, you know, she definitely has my cookbooks in her apartment now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so fun for her to tell me that she made, you know, cilantro lime rice or made enchiladas for her, her boyfriend or made, Mm -hmm. you know, pozole for all of her friends for a girl's night or tortilla soup. So I would have never imagined that that would happen. And, you know, it worked out just like she thought was going to happen. How cool. Yeah, Yeah. that's so sweet. (laughs) The photographs are beautiful, by the way, in your book. I was just flipping through because your son is is in a photo. Yeah, like a tiny little, a tiny little one, and he was not happy about that. Oh. <laughs> and and isn't your daughter? I thought I saw her. Oh yeah, she's she's in it a lot. Yeah, yeah. she has full page photos. Yeah, and um, and so I really wanted her to be a part of this book just because she was the inspiration for the first one. And um, so, like for instance, there's a. Uh, cheese platter in the Valentine's Day section. And she was my cheese connoisseur since she was a little girl. And so I wanted to dedicate just how, you know, we love making little cheese boards together and, um, and just dedicated that story to her. So it's very personal with a lot of stories of my life now and stories of my childhood and my travels. So, and the history of just the holidays, because it's all revolves around holidays, whether it's American holidays or Mexican holidays. And it's a little intro to those holidays and what these recipes mean to me. So. Yeah. When you were writing Muy Bueno, the first cookbook, were you living Mm -hmm. in El Paso? No, I was already living here. Yeah. So um, yeah, I've been living here 
gosh, it's hard to believe that I've actually lived in Colorado longer than I ever even lived in El Paso. El Paso seems to be so much a part of your food identity. Like, how have you made a sort of food identity in Colorado, and how has that been different for you? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, El Paso is so unique in its cuisine. It's my mom still lives in the house that I grew up in, which is literally a mile from Mexico. It's right Juarez's border town. I mean, literally, we could walk to the border. And my grandma was born and raised in Chihuahua, and she always cooked Mexican food. And, you know, so many people say, oh, El Paso is that like Tex-Mex style. And it's completely not. It's very different because when I left El Paso and I would go to Arizona or I would go to San Antonio or Dallas, I was like, this is so different. It's not El Paso. And so I wouldn't categorize El Paso as Tex-Mex food. It's very Northern Mexican style cuisine with like some Texas influence, but it's definitely not um, traditional Tex-Mex type of dishes. And then when I moved to Colorado, you know, Colorado is it's, it's an animal in its own when it comes to Mexican food. And it's very funny because, you know, growing up in El Paso, New Mexico is our neighbor. And so Hatch Chile is, you know, very popular. But then I moved to Colorado and didn't even know that Pueblo Chile was a thing. Like that's like roasted green chile from Pueblo is like, mm-hmm. that's fighting words for Coloradoans <laughs> of what green chili is better, Pueblo or New Mexico. I mean, it's like a little chili war here. So yeah, I mean, there's just different dishes that I never really knew. Like people, when I first moved here, people would say, oh, I bet you, you make a good green chili. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, I didn't even understand that term, you know, you know, we make chile verde or we make green salsas or green enchilada sauces, but the term like green chili is very Colorado and it's its own animal of its own. And I had to learn how to make it because that's not something that I grew up with and it's nothing that's Mexican, but I love that. And that's what this cookbook is all about. It's the inspiration from my life in El Paso, my life near Mexico and my life near New Mexico and my life now in Colorado and my travels to Mexico. So you'll find like recipes from Mexico City and Puebla and the Yucatan. So there's a little bit of kind of my journey within Mexican food. Yeah, that's a great segue also to be talking about um, Ista's book. I mean, her book is a fusion of a much larger (laughs) geographic region. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. Italy, Brazil, Mexico. But thinking about fusion, and we'll come back because I want to talk about your St. Patrick's Day chapter, Yvette, because oh, I cool. think that this <laughs> is like a really good example of of, mm-hmm. of that. I mean, um, those kind of cuisines being so geographically far from each other, but having similarities perhaps in their immigrant experiences. Mm-hmm. But let's talk a little bit about Mezcla. I think Belfridge has a really interesting background and philosophy on fusion. And I think she is quite playful with the way she's coming to food. As long as it tastes good, she's kind of happy. Ashley, do you want to talk a little bit about why we chose the book and perhaps Easta Belfridge, anything you know about her and just sort of what it is about Mezcla that you thought would be interesting to talk about? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was not familiar with Ista before we chose this book, but it has been really fun to learn about her. I I, I watched a YouTube video with her kind of making one of her dishes a 
prawn lasagna. And uh, she really does have an interesting background in that she grew up in London primarily. She also spent time in Italy. Her grandfather, uh, who is not Mexican, lived in Mexico for a lot of his life. And then her mother is from Brazil. So she really, like you said, naturally fuses these cuisines. And I think you got it so right where she's looking for things that taste good. So things that I found in this cookbook that were really interesting and cool is her emphasis on she uses a lot of pasta, a lot of chilies, and a lot of fish. So she brings these cuisines together in a way that I don't know that we've ever really seen. I mean, Italian and Mexican and Brazilian food. I don't even know if we get a ton of Brazilian food in the United States beside churrascarias or um, other Brazilian style steakhouses. That's kind of the extent of Brazilian food uh, that's popular in America. But as we kind of head into September, I think that this is a really fun book. Uh, as we settle back into, you know, the kids are in school, we're back to work, our cooking routines can get to be just that routine. Uh, and they get to be a little bit boring. So I think Mezcla brings a lot of exciting colors, a lot of exciting new flavors to things that we can make. And her recipes are really, really bold and really, really boldly flavored. Uh, as well. So I think it's it's really fun to play with the ingredients that she brings together. Yeah. So Yvette, I was kind of interested in talking a little bit about tradition versus experimentation and how can we kind of respectfully cook from cultures that are not our own and knowing that food is such a way of knowing about a place and knowing, you know, if you travel food is what you're thinking about first and food is what you're thinking about when you get home and food is such a way to know people and mm -hmm. food is so deeply part of our traditions just like this newest cookbook is all about you know family traditions of holidays and cultural traditions of holidays and food is so primarily a part of that and it's interesting Belfridge being she is neither Italian nor Mexican her mother is Brazilian but grew up in Cuba so there's like all this kind of She's sort of part of all of these cultures, and she mentions in her introduction that she is by no means, she's interested in all of these cultures and by no means an expert in any of these cuisines. But what do you think about that as somebody who has really made your career, your food career about tradition? What do you think about that? I think that's beautiful. I mean, there's nothing like sharing your life experiences and your culture is not necessarily where you were born. You know, you can move somewhere else and live a completely different culture and learn so much. So I love when somebody shares their life experiences with all types of regional cuisine and give credit to where they learned it, you know, versus somebody saying, oh yeah, I made this chicken tinga and it's amazing, but never credits you know, where the original recipe came from, you know, I feel like with this virtual world, it's so easy to find so many types of recipes. And for me, when I look for recipe, I love learning how they even learned how to make this recipe. So that in itself, I think is just a beautiful story. You know, you're, you're living your life because of your life experiences and food is a big part of everything that we do. That's why I wrote the book that I wrote, because it's all about, 
you know, our memories when you celebrate whatever holiday it might have been, you'll remember where you were with your grandma, what restaurant you were in or what country you were in. Those are the things that I think make a dish special, having those those stories tied behind them. Yeah. And your uh, St. Patrick's Day chapter is, mm-hmm. I think, a good example of learning a new set of traditions and bringing your own cultural background and own set of traditions, family traditions to your husband, correct? His, mm-hmm. his Irish. Yeah. And so I think that that's, it's exactly the same sort of concept of food is like how we get to know people and get to know cultures and get to know what we love and who we are as people. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a great answer of, that it's a kind of beautiful thing to share it. And also that you're right that we can access so much and being cognizant also of where we're learning things from and being knowledgeable and respectful. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I love how you said that. I think that that was so such a wonderful way to put it of giving credit to the the, the place that you learned how to make this food from, because it is so exciting to experience new cultures, especially if you can't travel, then you can make something from Mexico or Cuba or, you know, Peru or where or wherever. And mm-hmm. you can really get to know that place through their food and through their ingredients. And I appreciated how Ista addressed that in her introduction, as you mentioned, Esther, um, that she She says, I am inspired by cuisines from all over the world. I am an expert in none of them. None of the recipes in this book should be considered an attempt to recreate traditions that I'm not versed in. So I think that explanation and that that acknowledgement goes a long way of saying, I'm highlighting these, but I'm not, I didn't, oh, weirdly, I came up with this cool Mm -hmm. thing and I'm going to call it pasta. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. I also want to point out that in your introduction, just from the kind of opposite end of, you know, you're so graciously inviting readers of all backgrounds, of all food traditions into your traditions, welcoming readers to celebrate with food that they maybe have never cooked before. I've never made tortilla chips before and I made them and they were delicious and we'll talk about them. But um, I just want to say that that is, you know, from the other end, being gracious and welcoming of people to your own culture is just wanted to point that out as well. When you welcome somebody into your home, I wanted it to be an extension of how I like to entertain in real life. You know, it's just because you're not of Mexican descent doesn't mean you can't enjoy Mexico and Mexican cuisine and my music, my, you know, passion for it all. And, um, and that's what I love to share what it's all about, you know, and, and authenticity could be so different for everybody, you know, somebody makes enchiladas and, you know, different regions make it all different ways, different grandmas make it different ways, just like Italian food, just like Chinese food, everybody makes it different. There's no one correct recipe. And, um, and that's what I like to educate people with. It's like, you know, these, these are my story, and this is authentic to me. So let's talk a little bit about the recipe that we chose for this month. So we chose the spicy ginger tomato and sesame dip from Mezcla. And what will come with those kits, uh, as always, those will be out the second Thursday of the month, which is September 14th. And so what will come along with those kits is the recipe, as well as toasted sesame oil, sesame seeds, 
red bell pepper flakes, and tahini. Ashley, do you want to talk a little bit about why you chose this recipe? Any tips and tricks about this recipe? Yeah, I think that the hardest part about this recipe is waiting. So it takes about 30 minutes. You put uh, tomatoes and ginger and the chili flakes. We are getting red bell pepper flakes. I use uh, Aleppo chili flakes, so mine is a little bit spicier. You can also add in some red pepper flakes if you're making this at home. And it is so good. If you just give it the time that she offers in her directions and you just stir it every now and then, uh, you're going to get this really, really concentrated, very, very intensely flavored dip. I used it as a spread on bread. I really liked it paired with, I used some like non-dairy yogurt that I had, but if I had, you know, if I ate a lot of dairy at my at my house, <laughs> I would probably use something like ricotta or goat cheese or a really, really thick, nice Greek yogurt um, because that creaminess pairs really well because the um, tomato gets so intense and a little bit tangy and you get the acidity. And I, I would say if you can spread on some extra tahini at the end to emphasize that richness of the sesame seeds, uh, very, very worth it. I, I really love this recipe. And I even used it as a like a sauce on some chicken we made later in the week. And she says it's it's very adaptable and you can use it as a noodle sauce and put it on whatever you're eating. And it's true. It's it's a really beautiful, beautifully flavored dip slash everything. Yeah, I thought that the hardest part of the recipe was waiting as well. Although I also didn't have, um, I didn't have enough ginger, so it probably wasn't gingery enough. And I had to sort of, I didn't have any, I used like red bell pepper flakes and kind of some paprika to make up the um, oh, sorry. I used red pepper flakes and paprika, but we will be giving out red bell pepper flakes, which I've never cooked with before. Um, mm-hmm. And I imagined it's quite sweeter and not as spicy, but mm-hmm. I thought it was delicious. And the perhaps the solve for how long it takes to cook is making Yvette's tortilla chips along with it. Because the hardest thing about your tortilla chip recipe is waiting for them to dry. <laughs> um <laughs> So we'll be giving, this will be sort of a special group because we'll also give that tortilla chip recipe as a suggestion for what you might want to dip into uh, the mezcla dip. And it is a very easy recipe, except for you have to be patient because you have to wait for the lime juice to dry up on, or else it'll be spitting like crazy, I presume, (laughs) in the oil. (laughs) I've never made tortilla chips before, but I make tortillas all the time. I used store-bought tortillas to make chips this time around, but I think next time I make a batch of tortillas, I'm going to fry some up because I've never never done that before. And Yvette, you're right that it is very, they're very um, addicting. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, those, that's my chips and anything is, <laughs> is my naughty food. <laughs> I love that method of putting the lime juice on the tortillas and then letting it dry. I I have made tortilla chips before, but never lime tortilla chips. Mm-hmm. And I love lime tortilla chips. So I'm really excited to, I, I didn't get to make them this week, but I'm excited to make them uh, soon. Yeah. And I, a good cheat or it's just, you know, sometimes we have only a few tortillas left that are maybe getting old and you can just 
brush them with a little bit of lime juice at night and then in the morning or whenever you're going to make them that you could do it that way or even a, another quick shortcut is just to drizzle them a little bit with some lime juice after they're fried and then sprinkle them with some salt so you're still getting that I mean with the zest so you're still mm -hmm. getting a lot of that citrus flavor and not having to wait so long <laughs> yeah that recipe is in your Mexican Independence Day section which is very timely because that's September 16th. And our yes. our kits for this are going to go out on September 14th. So people can make these in prep for that celebration. We also on September 16th are having a uh, Latina Heritage Month celebration in uh, conjunction with a local nonprofit called Heart and Soul. And that's at the Foot Lagoon outside of the library from 2 to 6 p.m. And there'll be music and dance and spoken word and food trucks and vendor booths. And it's always a huge celebration. And I hope everybody listening will come to that. But Ashley and Yvette, do you have any sort of local restaurants that you love for Mexican restaurants that you love or Mexican grocers to get ingredients or, I don't know, any suggestions for listeners? I love just so many grocery stores on federal in Denver. So I go to a grocery store called save a lot. And then another one called Lowe's Lowe's market. And um, those are my top two favorite grocery stores, you know, like to get some of the ingredients that you might not find where, you know, if it's more specialty types of dry chiles that maybe you can get Guajillo or New Mexico or Colorado, probably at any grocery store. But like, if you're looking for, um, pasilla chile or chile ancho, you know, like more of the different varieties. I go there. Um, and just other like pantry staples that for me are my pantry staples, like dried jamaica, which was hibiscus flowers. So just things like that that I stock up on um, at those stores. And then plus, you know, it's great for the carniceria, which is like the meat market or just the fun stuff, you know, Mexican pottery and piñatas and, you know, just all the fun Mexican candy. So, you know, I do, I do that little trek, you know, whenever I need those type of things. Um, and as far as Mexican restaurants, I think the good staples are like Tamayo in Denver. Also, it's been around forever. And I like that they kind of do different regional um, menus. So they change it up and celebrate different holidays and, you know, maybe sometimes do things from Mexico City style or Oaxaca style. Um, so I really I really like it because every time I go, it's a little different. I think for me, I would say, um, and I'm going to give some more general advice. Uh, I I visited a Mexican market in my neighborhood a couple of weeks ago, and it was so wonderful. Like the produce was all very, very fresh. The meat was very, very fresh. And I filled up my cart with things like dulce de leche and, and things that I don't necessarily make all the time, um, but you can get pretty good products. Um, and just go to your local Mexican markets, find your local taco trucks. When you see the taco trucks, you know, in a parking lot or, you know, set up, um, or if you see a, a, a independent a shop like a taco shop or or any kind of independent restaurant go and support those people I think that that is one of the most impactful things you can do in your community is to go to the people who's as we were talking about earlier with appreciating cultures like go to the people 
who know their expertise the best and and support uh, that kind of business so that you're actually supporting the people in that community and, and showing them that I want you as part of my community. I value you here and get to know them and, and ask for their advice. If you need a recipe and you want to experience a new culture, go and ask them for a recipe and ask them if you're having problems with, you know, cooking, whatever you may be cooking. That That would be my advice. I love that, Ashley, because I think so many people are intimidated. You know, they don't, they won't go to a food truck if they've never heard of it. They won't go, they won't buy tamales from the lady in front of the grocery store, mm-hmm. you know, because they don't know where they came from, but mm-hmm. this is their livelihood. These vendors do it because it's safe. They've certified, there's people and my rule of thumb for anything when it's something new is like, if you see people there you know, it's obviously going to be good. You know, there's, it's, mm-hmm. so yeah, definitely find those local little hidden gems that are always going to be the best. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. And you might feel inspired then to, you know, you might have flautas and then be like, oh, I would like to try making those at home. And I, you know, you might find yes. something that then inspires you to make something at home. Yeah. Oh, and I would like to add really quick, I have been reading a book that we have coming up for November, The New Native Kitchen, and he mentions using the cactus leaves. Nopales. Uh Yeah, nopales. And I was so interested in he, he was describing how to use them. And I had just been to the Mexican market you know, a few days before. So I was like, I know exactly where to get those. And now I feel like I can go out and you know, get the ingredients. I know where to find them. I know exactly what he's talking about and it empowers you. It's a snowball effect. Like, you know where these ingredients are and you know what they are. And now you have recipes and now you have resources because you're talking to the people in the markets and um, just being a part of your community in that way is so is so special, not only for them, but then you get to go home and make this really good food. Yes, I love that. And I love no problem. So <laughs> <laughs> I've never tried it. I would be so excited to try it. I yeah, I, I don't would know say like I if they if you never had them, they're similar like a mushroom, you know, like when oh. you um it's you can eat them raw, which a lot of people don't, but I mean you could put them in a smoothie. So when I go to the Mexican stores, they already have them prepared. So you don't have to worry about like removing all the splinters and all that. And they have them in baggies. Mm-hmm. And they're already diced up. So with those, I buy them and just put them in the freezer and I just throw a little handful in my smoothie. And it's very good for um, just, you know, for people with diabetes or um, it's just a very good kind of a cleanse. You know, it's it's a very mm-hmm. medicinal type of ingredient. But then also, you know, if you have the whole paddles, I have a recipe. Um, it's a molcajete, which is kind of a mixture of you know, I did for my Lent chapter where it's meat free. So the no, it has nopal, it has portobello mushrooms, it has um, seafood. So there's some shrimp in there, but, um, but it's just, it's very hearty. So you're, once it's grilled, it tastes like, like a portobello mushroom. Like it's just so has that super flavorful and just kind of smoky, depending what you put on it, but it's just so yummy. And a lot of people are just nervous about it because there is like a slime in it. And so you kind of have to cook it to remove that slime. The the longer you cook it, then that slime goes away and you Mm -hmm. wouldn't 
you know, it's, I would never recommend the jarred one. Cause I think that's what people see. There's jarred versions of it and it is slimy. So <laughs> oh, if gotcha. you cook it at home when they're fresh, it's a big difference. Very cool. Well, in the South, we cook okra all the time. So I yes, think we can very get used to no polish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's perfect. Yeah. Do you ladies have any suggestions for any other kind of cookbooks, food writers, or social media personalities that you're into right now? So one person that I would suggest, Ista mentions this a couple of times in the book, that she was trained under Odalenghi, and Odalenghi is a very, very famous, globally famous chef. And he, I think he had a couple of restaurants, but now he's much more famous for his cookbooks and as a recipe developer. He has really, I think, changed kind of the landscape of food media in the last couple of decades. So I would check out Odalenghi's book, especially if you love like plant-based cooking. Odalenghi has a couple of plant-based cookbooks, uh, a very similar recipe style of these very like bold, fresh very modern flavors. And then if you're looking to add more diversity to your your social media or make sure that you're following really cool Latinx creators, one, I would search out cookbooks that you like. And one that I would suggest, he's pretty famous and we actually featured his cookbook last year, Rick Martinez. Uh, he does very traditional Mexican recipes um, and he lives in Mexico and really highlights a lot of the more traditional side of Mexican cooking. Mm-hmm. I loved that book. Yeah, it's so mm-hmm. colorful, so beautiful. And um, yeah, he definitely has that regional flair also of all the places he's visited in Mexico. And um, yeah, it's it's a great book, highly recommended. It's just very beautiful. It is so beautiful. Love, yeah, I love um, Patti Hinich. She's, she's been like my, my inspiration for a really long time. And um, she has a PBS show and she travels La Frontera right now. She's doing a series about La Frontera, which is like kind of all the borderlands and just immigration stories and the culture and the food from those border towns, you know, whether it's El Paso, whether it's Arizona or whether it's somewhere in, you know, like California. I mean, it's just really interesting to see how food has evolved from just your neighboring border. And so in her newest cookbook, it's very similar style where she's very educating you along the way. You know, there's so many things that I continuously learn just from the things that she shares. Great. Well, thank you both for being here and chatting about food and tradition and culture and how to interact with cultures that are not your own and how to be excited by that and find new traditions and new family recipes and events. So thank you both for being here. And just a reminder that those food kits will be out two days before Mexican Independence Day on September 14th. And you can get those at the Loveland Public Library. And to come to our celebration on September 16th from 2 to 6 in the Foot Lagoon. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Loveland Libcast. If you'd like to contact us about the podcast, please reach out to Daniel at daniel.tate at cityofloveland.org. That's D-A-N-I-E-L dot T-A-T-E at cityofloveland.org. 
see you next time.